Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Gareth Sanford. So Gareth is a sports science consultant based in Canada where he works with Athletics Canada and Triathlon Canada. He specializes in the intersection between endurance and speed. So who better today to discuss how you can improve your endurance performance than Gareth. So without further ado, it's time to welcome him onto the show. Welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Matt. Glad we could finally uh, get this on the on the books. Me too, mate. Me too. So thank you very much for joining us. Uh, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, for sure. So my name's Gareth. I'm a sports science consultant and I specialize at the intersection of speed and endurance. So think of middle distance, team sports, those sports that have that huge blend of speed and endurance. Um, I currently am in England on a visit, but I'm based in Victoria, British Columbia, right on the west coast of Canada. And there I work with Athletics Canada, Triathlon Canada, and then work with a whole host of teams on their aerobic conditioning and individualizing their training. Um, and we can get into some of those bits uh, in this conversation. Absolutely excellent. So obviously middle distance is, is kind of that combination that you, you mentioned. So um, when we look at that, you've got the speed and endurance side. Can you can you give us the um, the lowdown as to what the benefits of endurance training then are? Yeah, I think maybe a good place to start is actually how we arrive at what type of endurance training we might be considering. And that starts with really understanding the speed and endurance balance of the different individuals in your squad. We've all done training sessions, all seen sessions where some athletes in some stimulus are finding it real easy and others are struggling and others in between. And that's really what I'm talking about with that speed and endurance balance. We can achieve that by understanding two elements. Number one, the maximal sprinting speed, which I measure on an all-out 50-meter sprint, and then some representation of their energy system. And I like to start with a six-minute time trial. Uh, which gives you an estimate of that speed at VO2 max, which is the maximal oxygen uptake. Um, that is a blend of aerobic and anaerobic qualities, but it sets the ceiling of how much oxygen you can take in at the heart and lungs and utilize. Then from there, I estimate something called the critical speed, which is that last intensity where you can stabilize your physiology. And it's primarily fueled by the aerobic system. So when we're talking about endurance training and thinking about how fit is somebody? We're really looking at the interrelationship between where is that critical speed and where is that speed at VO2 max? And so, for example, in someone who's maybe fairly untrained, we might be looking at a critical speed that sits somewhere in the 75, 80% of that VO2 max pace. But as we get fitter, as we improve that training, we move it to a higher percentage of that VO2 max. And what does that mean? That means in an example where let's say our maximal aerobic speed score is 20 kilometers an hour and let's say our uh, critical speed is 16 kilometers an hour everything under 16 kilometers an hour is relatively easy for our body physiologically so in training and improving that critical speed what we can do let's say we improve it up to 18 kilometers an hour which is totally possible with an mas of 20 kilometers an hour. What we end up doing then is all those speeds between 16 and 18 that previously were physiologically difficult for us. So when we think of, let's say, 
either high speed running in a team sport environment, or we think of um, yeah those longer sustained eight to ten minute repetitions in in middle distance endurance training. Those suddenly become easier when we've raised it to eighteen. And so endurance training to me is an ongoing sequencing of the interplay of those two variables. And we know that the cost of working above critical speed, that moderate intensity, is very fatiguing. It draws on our anaerobic energy sources a lot more. There's a greater recruitment of our faster twitch muscle fibers, and that fatigues us the next day. So in our training, we really want this light and shade between low and moderate intensity, which we can do a lot of the time, and then interspersed with that high intensity element. There's an analogy I like to use just to kind of put this in a bit of a bow is I think of training aerobically a bit like putting money in the bank, right? So every time we do low and moderate intensity training, it's like putting deposits in your bank account, okay? And then every time we work above critical speed where we're doing either like VO2 max type work or more high intensity where we're maybe looking at speed endurance, which is like all out maximal efforts between 15 and 45 seconds, we're making withdrawals from that bank account. Or when we play a game or race a competition, we're making withdrawals from that bank account. So we really want to be conscious with our endurance training of what is our current bank account normal in terms of like training minutes um, or distance, however you, you measure that out. And then be clear about are we building or are we maintaining right now? And then it's a constant dance of do we need to top up? Do we need to build? Which maybe is coming more from the low and moderate. If we're suddenly at a stage where our critical speed is actually at maybe 90, 95% of our MAS, now it's time to do a VO2 max block. So that's the, how the, those kind of things interplay for me with endurance training. And you mentioned speed as well. So how, how does that come into those mm. those situations because you've got then the, your your critical speed or critical power then you've got your mas yep. how does yep. then the maximum speed layer into that yeah so where we should start with that is that generally i think we've been maybe misled in some of our teaching science evolves and that, and so let's just address a certain thing right now on anaerobic energy system training is that i think a lot of people may believe that sprinting is limited by energy system. And in fact, that's actually not the case at all. It's very much limited by technique and force that you can put into the ground and express in a given direction. And that works from uh, Dr. Peter Wayand out of, out of Texas. And so what that means is when, we, when we're training sprinting, maximal sprinting, let's define what that is. I'm talking about maximal three to six second efforts, okay, off long rest, so three plus minutes rest. Yes, there is energy system being used in doing that effort. But the point I'm making is energy system does not limit that sprinting performance. So when we're looking at sprinting as a cost in training, the cost to us is primarily more from a, a neurological type fatigue standpoint as opposed to an energy system drain. And so when I think of the bank account scenario, sprinting isn't withdrawing in the same way. It kind of comes from a different different bucket, if you like. And that means it actually complements if you're trying to build your sprinting speed, 
actually complements the low and moderate really well because it's less fatiguing in the low to moderate, which if we're trying to improve motor patterns and skill development of sprinting, that's exactly where we want to be. Whereas trying to do that at the same time as you're maybe doing VO2 max type work where it is more fatiguing, more draining, can take away from that quality. So I think there's a couple of sequencing tips there that are really key for people in these sports that are trying to nail both. I think it's uh, it's going to be interesting, probably at the end of the podcast, to get a little bit more detail on that and how you can fill that in. Um, but then, in terms of obviously, when when you're when you're an athlete and you want to improve the the endurance side of things, um, <clears throat> what what are the benefits to doing that? Right. So if we if we're looking at uh, let's say a player who's not particularly fit and they think you know what I want to I want to really increase that a little bit, you could also be the the middle distance runner who's just not quite where they need to be. Um, what are the benefits to doing endurance type training? Yeah, I think the key comes down to overall capacity to do more of that sport specific and high intensity work coupled with your ability to recover from that work. So I think we're, we're kind of in a, we run through phases in this industry, right? Of different fads. And we've gone from things like, you know, beetroot juice to, high intensity training and those kind of things. And the pendulum right now is we're just kind of coming off like a, a big surge of high intensity training interest. And, you know, people like Andrew Huberman with zone two and so on, right? It's like, okay, both of those are important and they're in the program all the time. These are just phases, but what that's done, I think is swing training in the high intensity direction. And the reality is the, the sports that require both high levels of speed endurance, you don't have many people in your squad who are like Kylian Mbappe, right? Those true speed types. And so really the majority of your squad probably needs to be trained like a 1500 meter runner on the conditioning side with sprinkles of that intensity. Every day you're getting tactical, technical training from the game, which is giving you sprinkles of that high intensity and anaerobic stimulus, what you may be missing and over time need to layer is the capacity to do more of that work. Because if we come back to that bank account analogy, if we think about, okay, we have a target of trying to get fit, we go to intensity and VO2 max all the time to try and get fit. What are we doing, Matt, in relation to the bank account? Sorry, that's that's a direct question. Sorry. That's a question for you, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you're gonna take away uh, from your reserves if you're gonna be doing the high intensity stuff all the time. Yeah. So in our so we we're chasing high intensity to try and get us fit, but in reality, we're just digging a deeper and deeper situation if we don't have that kind of foundational aerobic fitness, and so. The big goal really is to do those two things, to build capacity, to do more of that high intensity work. Because guess what? Once you build a bit of a bank account, you can do greater volumes of intensity. And it doesn't cost you as much because you've got deposits in the bank, right? And so that's the game season after season. And aerobic fitness is, is sometimes challenging to get your head around because it's not like high intensity where you get the gains almost like immediately right? It's more of a compounding effect over time. And so really keep putting those deposits in and being selective about when we make withdrawals, providing 
we're holding on to that sprinting speed and we're still got our eye on that, we're going to be very close to being ready to go almost most of the year. Absolutely excellent. So when when we're looking to, to get those benefits, obviously there's going to be some kind of physiological adaptations in the body. Um, mm. What kind of adaptations are we then going to look for? Yeah, so with if we maybe go again into that low and moderate space versus high space and high meaning that anything above that critical speed, so in the VO2 max type space, um, what we're really getting with that high intensity stimulus is more of a central adaptation. So what I mean by that is um, adaptations in the heart and lungs. So that's things like getting a bigger cardiac output, so more blood volume being pumped around the body. We're getting a, a development in how much blood is going out per beat, known as the stroke volume. That kind of um, adaptation comes from that more high intensity because the blood's going through at such high rates and large volumes that you get those changes. Whereas with the low and moderate, you're getting more of those peripheral adaptations. Think of it like the um, train lines in a station right, that deliver the oxygen to the muscle and process everything that the muscle's producing from that intensity. So you get more of those like capillary type adaptations and enzymes in the muscles. Now, I should say, it's not an either or. It doesn't mean when you do high intensity, you only get central. And when you do low, you only get peripheral, but we're talking about emphasis. And if you're um, maybe at a lowest training age, then you're probably getting more of both from both of them. But as you get older and a more senior seasoned athlete, then actually it's where the the gains probably are in those two areas is, again, more in those two directions. Yeah. Actually, excellent. So obviously you've, you've mentioned a little bit about the, the sprint speed and the, the higher intensity stuff. So yeah. what's the role with, with that in improving endurance training. So you've, you've obviously gone through a little bit that kind of that classification system of yeah. pull everything up. Um, does it end there or are there other little bits and pieces which can, can benefit um, your endurance performance by doing that high intensity stuff? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, something that will be very common to anyone in um, kind of your physiology dominant sports like, you know, running, swimming, cycling, rowing, canoe, kayak, these kind of sports is that you'll have a race pace for your event. And that's for everything that's 10,000 meters and shorter. Say, let's say three to 800, like it's going to be in that space above and in and around VO2 max, right? And so what does that mean? Well, there's two bits we want to look at. One is the speed and the mechanical technique we have to produce at that pace. And then there's kind of the tolerance of the physiology consequences of running that fast, right? And often in programming, I often hear of people think of race pace as physiology-based programming. And in reality, I think what we can do a lot of the time is get a lot of benefits from actually technically and mechanically training at the race pace, but without the same physiological consequences. So what does that look like? Well, from day one of these, the season, we have people, you know, running at 1500 race pace, 800 race pace, 400 race pace, but for short intervals. So they might do 
100s at 400 race pace. And the emphasis there is, okay, do I have in place what that technique feels like? Am I hitting the right positions that I want to be achieving? And am I ingraining that as a pattern in my mind? If we're talking about tennis, Matt, we go, oh yeah, you should practice your tennis serve, right? Because that's a skill we have to be able to execute when we're at Wimbledon, right? But with running, we don't think of that in the same way. Um, but actually, it's the same thing. And often a big gap between someone being able to execute and deliver at a championship is actually being able to execute the shape they're in. So yes, there's a fitness energy system piece to that. But there's also a how should it feel technically. You need to feel the movement, know how you're going to mechanically adjust when the race surges or doesn't. And you need to do that in an efficient way. So if we're not building the skills and we're only doing that during energy system-based race pace type sessions, then we're only doing that under fatigue. And that, that gives us a hard time from a motor learning point of view to actually make inroads in that space. And so that's a lot of what we will do, like in, let's say we're going into the off season fairly soon for Olympic year. You know, you got, say, September through December, you'll be building the bank account, aerobic fitness. You'll be working on sprinting speed. You'll be working on what we just walked through mechanically. We won't really be doing anything that's, you know, race pace with a physiology, race-specific chemistry emphasis until much nearer to the competition. Once we have a bank account, once we've built that scaffolding to then do deliberate blocks of that. But because we're always in touch with that mechanics at race pace, we are never far, providing the bank accounts there, and we've held onto the sprinting seat, we're never far from being able to really be in shape to race. And so that's it. kind of flipping the frame where programming comes from as much a, okay, what's the mechanical technical emphasis of this as opposed to just a physiological based programming. I think it's a, it's a really interesting point that it needs to be those combinations and obviously putting that all together is going to be pretty tough, right? So I'm interested to hear how you would put those things together in potentially in a case study, uh, some athletes that you've worked with. So when you've got all of those different moving parts and you kind of alluded to it earlier that some parts go better together than others. Can mm -hmm. you talk us through how you would go about improving, um, yeah, potentially um, a middle, middle distance performance based yeah. on all of the things that you've discussed so far? For sure. So the, the, the key thing to getting this more right than wrong is really understanding which type of person you're talking about. And what I mean by that is what is the speed and endurance balance of the athlete? And maybe just to unpack some of those differences a bit. The endurance type middle distance runner or the endurance type profile in a team sport and actually their sprinting speed and MAS will be very similar. Are primarily slow twitch dominant. So what does that mean? That means that their muscle machinery that they're wired with has a lot more aerobic enzymes as default has a lot more train lines, capillaries that deliver oxygen to the muscle at baseline. And so that's that side of the things. When we talk about the speed side of things, so these are people on the men's side with a sprinting speed around 10 meters a second, 
on the women's side, this would be females in the kind of 8.8 .8 meters a second or faster. Um, they tend to be a bit more fast twitch, either more fast twitch um, or they're very um, neurally charged, meaning they can activate muscles really quickly. And that's how they get to their speed. So you really want to understand like how somebody getting to their speed. Um, aerobically on the men's side, those speed types, because they're much more anaerobic glycolytic in nature, their muscles are wired to do a bit more anaerobic work. They have a higher baseline buffering because they're more fast twitch. Um, those athletes really struggle with long continuous anything because it becomes too anaerobic too quickly. And so you, you only get a low volume of work and it's not quality. So we have to be really careful there with how we aerobically train them. The hybrids in the middle are people that are really special because sometimes they can have the same sprinting speed as a speed type, but aerobically they can also do that. And so the frame of understanding who you've got in your squad and what the distribution of that really matters because you could 180 change how you approach a stimulus based on who we're talking about. So that's setting the table. Um, where would you like to go next? <laughs> I'd like to pick one of those. So okay. whichever, whichever one you find the, the most interesting or whichever one you think, uh, yeah, people can get the most out of. Can we pick yeah, one well, of those that kind of types of, of people that you've mentioned and then go through how you uh, start training them? Yeah, so given the theme has been um, in endurance and aerobic training, let's go for the speed profile because that's often like the biggest challenge. Because they're more anaerobically driven, I talked about the continuous nature of training being a challenge. We've really got to approach the lower moderate intensity training from an interval-based perspective. Um, not only that, but have you ever seen a sprinter jog? Right. I've not it's seen not, that a lot, it's, to be honest. No. It's, 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 not, it's not pretty, right? <laughs> they mechanically look uncomfortable because they're not used to being there. And so what does that do? That, that kind of predisposes us to perhaps a high level of injury risk, a high level of perceived exertion. And I've seen like sprinters jog and then measured what happens and it's like physiology's out of control. You know, lactate's really high, breathing's really high. So that's not a good place to get them aerobically fit. So interval-based and off feet, the uh, majority of the time, if you want to do something a bit more extended, is the way to go. To go a bit deeper, why are we doing interval-based? Well, for two reasons. Intervals allow you to cap the rise in that physiology, right? So it never enables things to climb too high and out of control. Another thing that it does is it allows you to build volume, right? So an example of a session I like to use is somewhere in the 8 to 14 reps of a minute on, a minute off. Why a minute off? Well, because that, that minute off, again, allows the physiology to come down a bit. In your endurance type profile, over time, you would bring that rest down because they can tolerate and process real quick. But with these speed guys, I would not be doing that. That's, that's one reason. The other reason for um, 
interval-based is that actually, because they're more fast twitch in nature, we need to actually give them a little bit more intensity to actually recruit some of that fast twitch muscle to actually get some aerobic adaptation. So a minute on at like a moderate intensity achieves that goal without it being too prolonged, without things climbing. So you're really putting in a safety net there with that kind of break. As someone builds up their tolerance to do that eight to 14, we're not looking to build those reps out to two minutes, to three minutes, to four minutes. We might bring the rest down to 45 seconds, but we're not trying to get down to 30 and 15. Because if we do that, we, we start doing the thing that we don't want to achieve, which is elevating the physiology to make it harder than we want it to be. So that's a big way that I introduce and develop uh, aerobic fitness in those speed type profiles. And if you think of, you know, wingers in rugby or yeah, any, any kind of speed based, speed based athlete, like they struggle with anything prolonged and continuous. They still need the low and moderate intensity adaptations. We're just training them differently based on understanding the physiology they have. So when we apply that at the other end, the more endurance type people, given that they're more slow twitch, and again, aerobic muscle machinery, their preference isn't to do a lot of intensity, a lot of high intensity where there's high lactates and lots of uh, anaerobic glycolytic speed endurance type stimulus. They prefer being in that, that aerobic physiology for sustained periods of time. So these are the people with that type of session where, yeah, you might start everyone together if they've never done some moderate critical speed, but they're the people you want to build out those reps to two, three, four, five minutes. And over time, bring the rest down from a minute to 45 to 30 to 15. You know, I work with guys where we'll do those kind of sessions. We might do something like 10 by a K or five by two K or four by three K. So three K would be nine minutes of effort. And after 15 seconds, these guys are ready to go again. And that sounds crazy, right? When you say it, right. And, and a lot of people listening might go, yeah, that's nowhere near where we are. But when we come back to what we talked about at the beginning, the reason they can do that is number one, that's who they are. That's their profile. That's their physiology. And number two, they've had the compounding take place, right? Of building the aerobic bank account year on year. And I think it's maybe um, not that well understood, like how often that system needs stimulating to keep it moving. And if we let go of it, it detrains really quick. And that's a real problem for endurance profiles in your squad, because that's the thing they're bringing to the team. Right. If we think of, you know, the guys like someone like, a, you know, Sabozlai at Liverpool, right, box to box guy, like his job every game is to be the box to box guy, right, to be in that 13, 14 K space every game. And if we're playing Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, we're not just asking them to do that once. So I think sometimes we can have this one idea of what a training model should be trying to develop in a footballer or a team sport player. But in reality, the question really is, well, who are they? What do they have? What role are we, we asking them to do? 
and then how are we leveraging what they have to really maximize that quality when you know it really comes to it i've just um finished working on a project with uh, short track speed skating great sport middle distance on ice right and you know it was a group with i think there were four or five olympic medalists in there across the 500 which lasts 40 seconds to the uh, 1500, which is about three and a half minutes. So very similar to 400 meters and 1500 meters in running. And what we found is someone of each profile can really get to that top level, right? They can get into that world-class bracket. So world-class bracket, meaning top 10 in the world, but how they're achieving their performance there is leveraging the best of what they have. So the endurance type profiles, they're doing it by operating at a lower percentage of their anaerobic speed reserve because they've got a very high MAS and they've got that critical speed underpinning it. Whereas the speed type athletes, because they've got such a large speed reserve, they're actually able to push higher into that. Now for people just starting out, it doesn't start there, right? You have to build the scaffolding. You have to maximize your own sprinting speed and the bank account and MAS alongside that. But once you move through that sigmoidal curve of performance, you know, from regionals up to nationals, up to internationals, into that world-class bracket, when you get there, that's what's happening. People are leveraging the thing they have against the rest of the field. There's a minimum ticket to the dance in those other qualities that you have to have even if you're a speed person, if you want to do an event that needs speed and endurance, you need it. Just how you get in there is different. So that hopefully encapsulates both along the pathway of performance and on that speed to endurance continuum where people need to be focusing. Absolutely, mate. <clears throat> that was uh, that's absolutely excellent. So um, massive thanks for your time and effort. I really enjoyed that. And I think it's super interesting to get the the nuances between different types of people and how you can kind of work out those differences and obviously how you bring that all together in a, in a training program too. Um, where can people find a little bit more about you and what you're up to? Yeah. So um, website, garethsanford.com and uh, on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn regularly. So all the links are there. Yep. Perfect. Thank you very much, mate. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Cheers, buddy. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Gareth for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. Make sure you do it at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science Sport Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is an overgrowing library of sports science courses, which are broken down to bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more great sports science information, you can get yourself into the Coach Academy completely for free using the link in the show notes in just a few seconds time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.